0: Every team, every topic, everywhere. This is Believe. Welcome to another episode of No Script, No Problem on the Believe Podcast Network, the number one podcast network for professionals. Do you believe? No Script, No Problem is the show that takes you behind the curtain of documentaries and nonfiction entertainment like never before. I'm your host, Steve Berkowitz. I've been interviewing fascinating people from all walks of life for the past 20 years as an unscripted television producer and before that as a small town sports reporter. If you enjoy No Script, No Problem, please subscribe and rate the show. It's available on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, get your hand, tune in. You can also find it on Bleave.com and at Believe Podcast. Follow me on Twitter and Clubhouse at Steve Berkowitz and on Instagram at Steve M. Berkowitz. If you're interested, in advertising on the show, please contact Believe at Believe.com. All right, let's get started. I'm really excited about the episode today. We're going to be talking about a terrific documentary and one of the greatest TV shows ever. The documentary is Street Gang, How We Got to Sesame Street, and of course, that show is Sesame Street. My guests are the director of the documentary, Marilyn Agrillo, and two of the producers, Trevor Crafts and Ellen Sherrod Crafts. Street Gang, How We Got to Sesame Street is on HBO and HBO Max. It is a revealing documentary that gives a rare window into the early days of the groundbreaking TV series Sesame Street, revealing the creators, artists, writers and educators who together established one of the most influential and enduring children's programs in television history. Please welcome Marilyn, Trevor and Ellen. Guys, Thank you so much for doing the show, I'm so excited.
1: Thank you. Thanks for having us. It's thrilled to be here, Steve, thanks.
0: Sesame Street, I mean, it's like one of the most iconic uh, shows ever. How did you decide, let's do a documentary on Sesame Street. I know Trevor and Ellen, this was kind of your baby. So why don't the two of you get us started?
1: Yeah, I grew up as a Sesame Street kid. I watched the show with my parents. I, my birthday is the same as Grover's birthday. So essentially, like, I, I knew everything about Sesame Street. Um, we were looking for a new project that was in the documentary space. And I thought, hmm, Sesame Street might be cool. But I figured it had all been done before because it's Sesame Street. You know, here we are 52 years later, and this show still continues. So I was convinced that there wasn't any new ground there, and a friend of mine had recommended Street Gang by Michael Davis, and the book came out in 2009, was a New York Times bestseller, and I read it, started to read it thinking, I know all this stuff already, it's not a big deal, and was absolutely blown away by the volume of information that I actually didn't know. I'd never heard of John Stone before, the original director, the guy who created the street. I'd never heard of Joan Ganz Cooney before. And I was just really amazed. And if I had forgotten or not ever known about this subject matter that I thought everybody knew about, well, then, you know, maybe this is something that we should we should take a look at deeper dive. So I gave the book over to Ellen. I said, I think this is our next thing.
2: And I agreed, which is you know a good thing when you're. It's a smart, it's a a good way to go. When your producing partner is you're also your spouse. That's true. (laughs) No, but I I felt the same way as Trevor. You know, it was obviously I also grew up on Sesame Street, and I was I think Trevor would call himself a super fan.
1: I think I just did.
2: Yeah, exactly right. And I'm a fan. I loved it. But I think for me, what really resonated was the idea of something that I thought I knew so well, and learning something completely knew about it. And that to me was going to be something I thought audiences would be interested in. And also the story is so relevant today as it was in 1969 about people coming together, this gang, to do something important in the world, to answer a problem that was existing in our society. And that intentionality of the show and um, this idea of doing something new about something beloved to audiences really captured my imagination and I was all in.
1: Because Ellen said, if it's just about fan stuff, it's probably going to be bad.
2: And I said,
1: okay, that sounds good. But either way, we knew we needed a absolutely fantastic director and I was very despondent for a long time because I couldn't find one and then all of a sudden
3: well this is a story that I love to tell occasionally I will direct things for the show Sesame Street and I had just finished a music video with Ernie and I posted a picture of Ernie on Facebook Ernie and myself which one would do of course and Trevor and I actually know each other from way back Trevor was living in Los Angeles at the time. And I posted this picture and it was one of those fantastic things. He was looking for a director for this documentary. There I was with Ernie. He saw me, he got in touch. And I also immediately responded to this material because it was such a, such a trove of unknown information. What I really loved about it too, was the roots of the story as, as, These guys have already hinted to you. This came out of a very serious moment in our country. This came out of the civil rights movement. It came out of the anti-Vietnam protests and the burgeoning women's movement and all of these things around race and social justice. And that turned me on so much because, and especially as Ellen said, it's so relevant today. We just went through a year of again, you know, strife with the police, Black Lives Matter protests. It seems like such a great moment to put this film out there. And the stars kind of aligned for us because it just feels relevant. And we're so excited about that.
0: I was immediately struck by how relevant it was. You see the state of Mississippi pushing back on Sesame Street and I had to, you know, go to my brain with all these school board protests and this big push against yep. learning certain things.
1: Well, the one thing I'll just say is it's
0: it, the film changed
1: as we worked on it, as always happens with documentaries. But, you know, we had a big political landscape change in the middle of doing the film. I always joke, we've been working on the film since 1865. So a lot's happened since that time. But truly, I mean, as, as you know, we had the backdrop of everything that Marilyn just said as sort of our, our backdrop for our gang, you know?
2: No, hundred percent. And, you know, it was six years, you know, so, you know, it was, it definitely, what was going on in the world definitely impacted our storytelling and we had a lot of conversations about it, but it was also so amazing how, you know again this is why it's so important for us to continue to explore our past and to look at these things that have happened because you know we you know we have to learn from them and we have to understand that you know we have to continue to do things that are revolutionary and important and with Sesame, it was doing all of this with this amazing group of creative people using the power really of joy and love and comedy, you know, to, to sell the alphabet at, to young children, but to close the gap in education that was there due to racism and poverty. But they did it with, well, I always say the medicine and the candy, right? So it was through happiness and joy and love and, and, and messaging to, to make this. And, and I, again, if we had more examples or if we, if we, continue to go back to these positive examples about how we can make change in the world, how incredibly different things could be.
1: But I remember the specific moment when Marilyn called us. She was like, you guys, we found this footage. It's from Mississippi and it's amazing.
3: Yeah. Oh my God. And the moment that we all jumped in the air was the morning that our incredible archival producer, Rich Remsberg, wrote a note to us and said, I have the holy grail. And the holy grail was that PSA from nine, from the 1968, I think, mm-hmm. Senior to the ghetto, that John Stone saw on television and he said, This is it, this is what the show's gonna look like, and designed the set to look like an urban street. I mean, you know, moments like that when you hear an old archival interview and the person refers to something and you're like, wow, that would be so amazing to see, if only. You know, and so much stuff from the 60s got taped over. They didn't save a lot of it. So we were so lucky to get that because it was just one more delicious little nugget that we could throw out in this film um, to really bring home the point. And I just want to say one thing about the the movie. And for me, the John Stone story uh, became more and more important because... It's just unbelievable that no one really knows who this guy is. He's virtually unheard of. And as you can see in our documentary and in reading Michael Davis's book, he was so instrumental in so much of what makes Sesame Street special. He brought in Jim Henson. He created the look. Everything went through him. He directed those early episodes. He had worked with Joe Raposo for years, so they were already a unit and telling his story was so important to us.
1: And as Polly says, his daughter in the film, you know, he grew up in that period of activism. And I think that's why it's easy for us to reflect those times in, you know, in the documentary, and it's easy to look at them as same issues now because he was such an activist in terms of his beliefs and his feelings of right and wrong in the world and all of that spirit, and that was true of so many of the individuals uh, that, that made up the gang, you know, that's imbued itself into the show. And the parallels are, are there for the taking. I mean, that's, I think, what's amazing about documentary is when you have a story, but it also is multi-layers deep. You know, it's not just about our one, the one story you're telling, but it's about our whole society and Sesame street was our whole society. It's, it is continues to be so much of the fabric of our whole society and the world society.
2: And never nothing. You, it takes a long time to do documentaries. Cause I think it took us three years to get the all in on the send the kids, right. your ghetto promo. So yeah, from the time
1: Marilyn <laughs> said, I want that. <laughs> to the time when Rich said, here's the final paperwork. It was about three years. It was endless, it was endless.
0: <laughs> but worth
2: it.
1: Oh, totally yeah. worth it.
0: Yeah. I, I mean, I was struck. It's even more remarkable looking back at, you used the word activist, you know, for John Stone, like putting Jesse Jackson on that. Yeah. If you would think about, it would be controversial if Jesse Jackson went on a Sesame Street today. People, you know, not, there I, would be.
3: I don't think, I don't think a black activist leading kids in a chant like that would be on television today. Yeah. And, you know, these are, It was a different time, but how amazing, how amazing that he did that. Yeah. And yeah, you see was... all these black kids, white kids. I am somebody, even if I'm black, even if I'm white, I mean that, it, it still makes my heart flutter a little bit to watch that clip. Well and and the the sentiment beautiful children
2: will grow up and make the whole world beautiful.
1: Yeah, that's the whole thing <laughs> right there. <laughs>
2: you know, if you're using that as your yardstick about who's going to be on your programming then and that was pretty great.
1: That was I think also the interesting sort of subversive radical way that Sesame Street operated as a whole. You know, it was it was that beautiful children will grow up and make the world a beautiful place and You know, there's a scene in in the film where John Stone is doing an interview between the second season and the first season of the show. It's a a WNET local broadcast. And the interviewer is asking, well, what about a mixed race cast? You know, talk, talk more about that. And he says really quietly, that's not really something that we beat to death. We simply show it, meaning showing the world the way it's supposed to be, you know, and do that for kids, get them at that early age so that that way you know, that's going to be something that they take with them for their entire lives and throw a catchy song at it and then they'll never forget it.
3: You know, the New York Times wrote a great article this week about the social impact of our documentary, speaking of the social impact of Sesame. And within the article, they repost that Jesse Jackson talk back with the kids in its full form that Sesame Street posted. And in the original, he actually says to them, I am somebody, even if I'm on welfare, even if I'm poor, Mm -hmm. even if my clothes look different, even if my hair is different. I mean, that is, that's radical stuff. And I'm so happy that Sesame Street posted that this weekend because how empowering to be a kid in in the South Bronx sitting on the floor and watching that.
0: One of the other scenes that, to me, was really impactful, and again speaks to the topics that Sesame Street was able to tackle, and it was was the death that they were mm-hmm. able to take on and teach kids about how to handle death. Mr. Hooper, right? Mr. Hooper, and and like I couldn't even believe how delicately and sensitively they tackled this topic. And when we now look at today and we don't want to make kids feel guilty and we're worried about teaching kids about slavery too early. And I was just shocked. I'm like, wow, they did this amazing job of teaching kids about death. And like, I'm curious, like, were, were you just shocked at how they handled such serious topics in such a wonderfully beautiful way? No, you know, I think very early on, when
2: they started the show, it quickly became clear that this wasn't just about learning the alphabet and learning numbers. It was in order to really impact the whole child, you had to help them understand the world they were living in. And you had to understand the world they were living in. And and that's something that the show took seriously then and does now, you know, at the time, you know, we talk about the things that had never been done before, let alone in television, but then you add into a children's show, but, you know, having a team of researchers, having a team of community organizers, you know, led by Evelyn Davis, who was the founder of 100 Black Women, you know, having, you know, you know, psychologists, you know, all of these experts to help inform the writers, uh, to give them the tools they needed to tell the stories that were going to help children and their parents manage the world. And that episode of Mr. Hooper is a perfect example of them really saying, you know, if we We didn't. And, you know, Norman Stiles talks about it in the in the film, you know, who wrote that amazing episode. If we didn't do it, we'd be doing a disservice to everything that we said we stood for up till that point. And and so, you know, it, it really is so in line with their values and missions. And, you know, and you see it today, you know, you see it with a special around racial justice. You know, you see it around, you know, how to talk to kids about COVID. You know, these are things that, that you know, it isn't just the, you know, the, the letters and the numbers, you know, that helps kids succeed. It's them really understanding the world, how to be empathetic with others and, and giving them the tools they need to manage the world around them. And so that was a mission in 1969 and it's a mission today. I
1: mean, so Norman said, we needed to find out What do kids need to know about death? And it kind of gets boiled down into a couple of things. The person's never coming back and it's okay. However you feel And you take those two parts and it's like John Stone said earlier in the film, it's like, what do kids like to watch? What do kids need to watch? We put those two things together. And that's the show. And it's a very simplistic approach, but that all happens because of the research, because of the intentionality, because of knowing that children are looking for answers. They're looking for, to make sense of the world. And that episode I think is, I, I don't think I'm overstating it. It's probably one of the more groundbreaking episodes in television period because of the fact that they took that difficult subject, they made it palatable through Big Bird. And there was the reality and the intentionality because this was, Will Lee was their very, very good friend. These people were doing 130 episodes a season. It's a shocking amount of television, like bananas amount of TV. Yeah, Marilyn's working on like three episodes and it's exhausting. I mean, it's just like, (laughs) it's an endless process. And to be all of the people in Sesame Street, behind the scenes and in front of the camera, that family, as Chris Cerf says in our movie, they are a family and it was devastating for them. But- That's the reality of death. And that's the reality of, of life. And at the end of that episode, there's a baby that's born, you know, and, and Big Bird says, oh, the baby's here now. And he wasn't here yesterday. And Mr. Hooper was here yesterday and now he's gone. And it's this beautiful sort of full circle that happens, but that's why Sesame Street is so important.
3: Yeah. One thing that uh, really st- strikes me is how although Sesame Street was on public television the commercial networks understood the value of what Sesame Street was doing that Mr Hooper episode was promoted on network TV they actually promoted that this episode was coming up on Sesame Street not on their station but on PBS because they recognized the value of what that was gonna be, which is amazing. Mm-hmm. You know, it's amazing that the US government gave them this giant amount of money, $8 million, which is equal to $57 million, $57 million now. Uh, it, this would not happen today, but there was a moment in time when, I don't know, the importance of what this little band of people was doing uh, broke through.
0: The other thing that I thought was you know, a great reminder was how funny it was, not just for the kids, but for adults. And that, because I watched the show as a kid, there was a lot that obviously I didn't pick up. Like the parodies, and I thought it was great you picked monster piece Theater and One Flew Over the Cougars. Like, it was just great to see that there was so much wink, wink, humor. What were there certain things that you found working intimately with the, that you were like oh my god these people were just hilarious creative geniuses
2: oh my gosh so much i mean you know we talk we talk about the amount of time it took just to go through clips of the show
1: yeah we lost a lot of hours <laughs> you go down like a. they weren't over. really
2: lost they were amazing it was yeah time that's well true spent. that's a good point
1: <laughs> lost is a good question
2: But just that right there, like that one monster piece theater. I think we had originally like three examples of of, like monster piece theater because they were so hilarious. We were trying to figure out like which one we were going to, you know, use. And uh, yeah, there was, I mean, there's so much. I mean, you tell your favorite one that we actually included in the film, Trevor.
1: Oh, it's the, uh, it's, it's, they call me the count because I like to count things. Oh, they call me Guy Smiley because I changed my name from Bernie (laughs) Lederkrantz. It's so adult, it's so adult and it's so hilarious, but that's one of the reasons why it worked because it was reinforcing, but it's, a lot of it was about improv and that wasn't something that was on TV, I think a lot at that point in time either, you know, as they, you know, they would go through an enormous amount of script changes right on set. Jim and Frank would constantly line things out and make new, make new jokes and figure out what was working. As long as it hit that core, then of what the education was, you know, then the rest of it was, was okay. That was the brilliance
2: of it because I mean, they had to hit certain points, right? You know, they had to, they had to make sure that the lesson was being told. But when you have two comic geniuses like Frank Oz and Jim Henson, it gives you so much allowance. And John Stone, who, you know, gave them the reign to sort of explore and see how they could make it happen. I mean, that's magic. And, you know, I, I want to go back to to, to Joan Gans Cooney, you know, who ran this, you know, cast of, of crazies and wonderful people, you know, and she put people in roles that were Experts in what they did, and she allowed them to do the work, and that resulted in some phenomenal results. And and that was a really a belief system in I'm going to put the right people in place. We're all going to be in agreement around what our objectives are. Now go do the work. I trust you.
3: And, and you know, uh, speaking of Joan, um, the fact that she was such a pioneer in terms of women in powerful positions in television but such a confident pioneer, because it really takes, you can be the leader, but to be the leader and allow the people underneath you to do what they know how to do, really takes strength and really takes confidence. She's just a towering example and a towering icon to women
0: still. Taking on such an iconic brand like Sesame street as the, you know, as the focus, the subject matter of your film, was there some pressure amongst the three of you? Did you feel like we've got to do this? No, no pressure at all.
1: We agreed all the time and we had no, no production problems. There were no (laughs) phone calls at any, from either of us, any three of us, it was pretty much just perfect the whole time for six years.
2: Yeah. Uh, Yeah.
1: Thank you for being, having us on the show and we'll, uh, (laughs) we'll, No, it's a process, right?
2: No, it was a process. And, you know, we have another amazing producer on the film, Lisa Diamond. Um, You know, Mara, we had, you know, we had an amazing editorial team uh, led by Ben Gold. um, You know, our archival producer, Rich Remsburg. We had a great crew. And there was a lot of pressure because I think early on when we first met with Sesame Workshop, you know, Trevor said, we're not here to destroy anyone's childhoods. Like that was not the intention of the film, but we also wanted to make a real film. This is an adult documentary and, you know, the pressure we knew there was pressure from fans around what they wanted to see because it's so beloved there's the nostalgia for what you grew up with the a kid there's pressure in the documentary world and there's also you know because you want you want your documentary to be important and you know and but there was pressure to the to the workshop to ensure that what we were doing was truthful and you know that it aligned but and then there was pressure to the individuals to the gang you know we were telling people's story yeah and you know it would have been devastating to us as a team. If Sonia Manzano had said, you didn't get it right. That wasn't what it felt like to be there at the time. And that you didn't tell my story correctly. So, but
1: I think that's why we worked well as a producing directing team, because, you know, Marilyn could push back and say, I really think this has to be, whatever that is, has to be in it. And for these reasons like this, or we say, but what about the, this, this, and we forgot about the, that. And I think it was a good balance point for us as a, as a as our own gang, you know, to 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 make the movie.
3: You know, when you have a team of collaborators, as you know, Steve, film is the most collaborative endeavor out there. And I came at this from a different point of view than Trevor and Ellen. I wasn't a big Sesame Street kid.
1: Well, she came at it from a different view of point of me. Ellen and Marilyn were much more aligned <laughs> always than me. <laughs> You know, but that's a different, that's for another podcast.
0: Okay. Yeah. Trevor, we can have a sidebar. We'll have a
1: side podcast about that
3: one. Okay. But you know, the collaborative process here really came into play, especially when the story you're telling is huge. Yeah. Felt a little bit at the beginning, like a mountain on our shoulders. This is a giant story, a giant story that lives in the hearts of millions and millions of people How are we going to represent in a way that's going to satisfy everybody? And the answer is, we're not probably. But I think that by condensing the story to the first two decades of the show, really the experimental years, the years where they took so many risks and some ideas didn't work, but they were throwing stuff against the wall. You know, they're making TV the way TV is not made anymore that's the exciting part of the story for me. Just this, it's like a lightning in a bottle that's kind of gone, you know, from an era that's gone. And, and I, think,
1: oh, I, think, I think one of the things that Marilyn was very adamant about, which I think has served the film so well, is that the story be told exclusively in the voice of the people that were there. And that's been something that I think, you know, you can have experts weigh in and you can have the head of this Institute tell the audience, well, why is this important? And why is it valuable? But, you know, there are people that we interviewed that didn't end up making it in the movie because they were not there during the time frame mm-hmm. that we were filming. You know, they were part of the workshop at one point in time, but, you know, this is about the family members. It's about Polly. It's about Kate. And it's about, you know, uh, Holly and Matt Robinson, Jr. And, you know, obviously all the Hensons and the people that were actually there, like Frankie Biondo. I mean, he shot the pilot for heaven's sakes and he's shooting, scene. you know, 50, 50 plus years later. I when mean, the it, original
2: cameraman. Yeah. yeah. He's.
1: I mean, it's that those are the voices that matter. And I think <laughs> in pushing for that to be the case was an excellent decision and one that really helped to serve the film, because I think, Ellen, like you said, it's about Making sure that the individuals also said, "This is right," and this is what I remember because I lived it, you know. And you you have a lot of weight on your shoulders. It is Sesame Street for heaven's sakes. And outside of not ruining anybody's childhoods, which is what I said, and making sure you're true to the individual, you have to be true to the history, and you have to be true to the intentionality and in story. But that's where I think we all came into play, and push something to be great.
3: Ellen touched on this earlier. In the world of documentary, documentary films tend to be, and they are this year, very much about, you know, the political scene or the refugees or all these things, you know, and then we have our film about Sesame Street. And every time somebody recognizes that this is an important story, and really gets it is so gratifying to us because it is a movie about Sesame Street, but it's a movie about all these things that in our society matter so much. So when that's recognized, that's just fantastic.
0: I actually, I wanted to ask you the three of you about that because
3: the documentary
0: world right now is so huge. And I I actually, the last episode that I recorded, um, I had a documentary filmmaker who did a true crime docu-series (laughs) And, you know, that's huge right now. When you were not just filming and you're editing, but did the three of you talk like, oh, maybe this is a little too soft. Maybe people won't like it. Maybe, maybe the buyers won't like it. What was the discussion amongst the three of you in terms of, is this the right time to do a film like this?
3: Well, of the three of us, I would, I think we can all agree on the darkest. <laughs> <Love> yes. <you. laughs> Sold American.
0: <laughs>
2: Love you.
1: Dark. (laughs) It goes, it goes, Marilyn's on the dark bottom. She's like the dark toast. Ellen's like medium and I'm like an ice cream cone, essentially is our, if we were breads, that would be our.
3: That was a good combo. It was a a good
1: good combo. You end up with a weird, but delicious sandwich.
0: As long as there's some balance, that's all that matters.
1: No, but that's it.
3: But you know, this is part of the stew that makes a good film really it's it's the light and the dark and the shadows and the you know the the characters that dealt with depression or the characters that neglected their own kids in order to make this piece for the kids of the world and those are the elements that for me uh, were so important because they had a lot of individual sacrifices and they, as people, had struggles with recognition. They had struggles with their families. They had struggles with all this stuff. And I think that's an important part of the story. So it was good to be able to round out these characters a little bit.
2: Yeah, and I think, you know, we talk about this, You know, the, the film's about the gang, you know? And so it's looking at Sesame Street, through the eyes of the gang, you know, as Marilyn directed. And, and it was also about, so, you know, when we put things in this film, like Muppet bloopers, you know, which are amazing, they're fantastic, but it's also, there's, there was an intentionality around that because yes, they're amazing, but it's also showing the spirit and camaraderie of the people who were working these incredibly long days, putting the show together. And they were having real human moments of laughter, of giddiness, probably of, sleeplessness um and delirium you know the this the scene of like you know the muppets yelling at john you know and in these different you know this was again these were we were intentional in putting these items in because at the end of the day this this story is about the gang. It's about these individuals that came together with a purpose that was larger than themselves as individuals. And into Marilyn's point, they, humans and adults are complex. You know, We have our light sides, we have our dark sides and putting it all together makes something beautiful. And, and it did in this show, but it was important for us to show all of that and how it came through in, in all ways.
0: What was the most surprising thing that you learned? And digging into all this.
2: There's so many firsts. First integrated cast on a t- children's television show. So we, we we talk about this thing first and then you add on a kid's show. So like first integrated cast on a kid's show.
1: They spent out of their $8 million, a million dollars on advertising. That had never been done before on a kid's show. Nobody ever even thought of doing advertising at that level before. And and I think the the, the counterpoint to that, and I think one of Ellen's favorite storylines ours mine too is about Evelyn Davis and the community organizing and the fact that it was
2: money went into that. Yeah. Creating vans so that kids could see the show in their community center in the back of a van and the researchers could gauge the reaction of children of color to the content that was being created to, for them. That was revolutionary. That had never happened before, you know, taking it into the schools, um, letting schools see it so that kids could, they could get responses of what this show was like. I mean, that had never been done before.
1: And I think the thing that, it's just surprised me. And I don't think this was a huge revelation, but the, in the film, there's a, they went out to a couple of live venues in the first season, right after the first season. And Bob McGrath says, you know, it was like Woodstock out there. And that was really surprising footage to me to see that it was like filling state, filling lawns, you know, of, of, you know, thousands and thousands and thousands of kids, You know, that must have been an amazing experience for the actors for this weird little show that all of a sudden became this huge phenomenon. But just this sort of to see that footage, you sort of got the immediate impact and scale of of what it was.
3: What surprised me and delighted me so much was understanding the caliber of talent that went into this show. Joe Raposo is a film we always say this he's a documentary film all on his own yeah and he put together the most top flight new york studio musicians jazz players i mean this was the sesame street band was a world-class group of musicians and the stuff they were writing was so sophisticated you know that on top of the comedy that was being written was so sophisticated There's a whole thing about how they were dissing Donald Trump 20 years ago. And they were so politically, uh, they had satire that was political, that was socially conscious. And that celebrities right away, right after this show started airing, agents were pounding on the doors of Sesame Street, a show being created for preschoolers. We want our talent on the show movie stars top you know stars in the field of sports music politicians everybody wanted in on this show that was on PBS for four-year-olds we always go back to that because it's so mind-blowing how big this thing became and how quickly it became so big
1: when we found the list we were early on we were like let's just do a quick list the celebrities you know because maybe we want to interview them we weren't sure how it was all shaping up the list was three columns on an eight and a half by 11 piece of paper and it was eight pages long of just single space names just went on forever i mean it was that was Actually, pretty shocking to see the the range and the volume of humans. I was just...
2: Cate- in categories, yeah. Like to Marilyn's point, like sports stars, music, actors, activists. Like it was, endless. it was, it was
0: endless. I was struck by the detail in the characters, and I love the way you pulled, like you pulled the curtain back and showed how they developed Bert and Ernie. You know, you sh- that you showed how they developed Kermit. Tell me a little bit about kind of the thought process in terms of revealing these characters and how you wanted to kind of bring that to life.
3: I mean, these characters are so iconic, right? I'll just talk about Oscar, who's my favorite. Oscar, we always, everyone knows who Oscar is, you know, in the trash can. He's such an iconic uh, image, but to learn, I think is interesting, to learn that Oscar was developed, to teach kids that not everybody's easy to get along with. And not everybody's nice and not everybody's polite. And it's a subtle, you know, the, I love the, that the way they taught things was not to hit you over the head with it, but to show, not say, but show. And Oscar's a perfect example of that. And so we thought it was important to talk about, even briefly, how, what, what went into the thinking for these characters that we all think we know so well.
2: we had a lot of conversations too about how to do that you know because and i think we kept using sesame is itself as an example so you know we were like do we do a whole rollout about why the characters were created how they were and how that what did that look like and and what we ended up doing was integrating it into the story that we were telling where it was appropriate to do that sort of character reveal and and i think we think that works. Others will tell us, but you know, we, and it was important because it was important to see that big bird was an evolution. You know, it was, it was what they had originally thought was going to work in having this, as Carol Spinney says, this goofy guy walking around and walking into doors and being big and awkward into changing it to big bird being the lens of the child, which is so much of what Sesame's focus is, is seeing the world through the lens of a child. And, and we all know that when that changed that so changed the connection that kids had with that character and it enabled children to see themselves which was so critically important and those little places where we wove that those those character reveals into the story in these iconic characters we think informs the whole narrative of how this came to be
1: because it wasn't i mean i think the important thing to remember it was an experiment You know, it was definitely a and continues to be an experiment. I wrote a companion book called The Unseen Photos of Street Gang, How We Got to Sesame Street. And we also added in some additional interview excerpts from the from the film that didn't make it into the actual movie. And one of them is about the development of Oscar, you know, and it was John Stone and Jim Henson that were sitting at a restaurant and, you know, basically called Oscars and and the. The waiter was really surly and really horrible. And they thought, well, this is a maybe a good character. And he was Magenta originally. But the wow. f- way that television, you know, shot on tape at that time, Magenta didn't show up well. So he changed to orange and then he changed again to green after the second season. So, you know, it's like it is this constant evolutionary experiment even the first four or five pilot episodes that were shot, there were no Muppets on the street with kids. Didn't happen. And it was boring on the street, but the Muppet scenes were magical. So you put those two together and that was one of John's you know, big vision moments where he brought these, these elements together. And so this constantly evolving set of characters is shows the experimental nature of what it was and bringing in all the different activists and bringing in different celebrities at the time and having great improv comedy and having diverse cast, you know, all of this experimentation, sometimes it experimented well, and sometimes it experimented into something that didn't work as they intended it. But the fact that it was always something that they were willing to try and continue to push the envelope all for kids, that's the part that's so dramatically amazing.
2: The other thing I'll say to that is it's okay to fail. Yeah. You know, I mean, we learn from failure, you know, it's okay that something- Grover
1: taught work. us that one. That's yeah, for sure. Exactly. That, poor guy that fails all the time. And
2: that's the Grover character, right? And then, and if we, you know, today we're so worried about something being successful or something being, you know, uh, we learn from the mistakes that we make. And Sesame does that through, does it through the Grover character and they, and they did it. Through their evolution. You know, it's like we, if you don't try something, you know, then you don't know what it could be. And you have to be open to other people's input and the ability to say that didn't work. And we're going to try it a different way. And I think that comes into the Roosevelt Franklin character. You know, here was a Muppet that was created by Matt Robinson, you know, that was a Muppet of color, you know, that he thought was very important that children, that black children who were living in this target of like, what they called at the time, inner city could relate to. And so, you know, and Holly Robinson talks about it in the film where, you know, it was something that was uncomfortable for Black audiences, you know, to see because, you know, it couldn't, it it was not serving the needs of everyone in the community. And so it went away and, and that's a failure, you know, but at the same time you learn from that and you come back and you do something different. And if we're not willing to take risks and we, we keep people from taking risks, then we don't have any opportunity to grow.
0: For someone like me who grew up with Sesame Street, I found this, you know, a great look back and I learned so much. For maybe somebody who didn't grow up watching Sesame Street, what do you want them to take away from watching your film?
3: Even if you didn't grow up watching Sesame Street and you don't know that much about it and you see this documentary, I hope that it will show that This collective creativity can really enlighten people and in particular children. And I always love to think about the power of art and what it can do. Almost like no other way to teach, you know, to teach through the arts because it feels painless. It feels fun. You're singing or you're looking at a beautiful animation or you're watching puppets. And yet something else really important is happening. So I to show the power of that to me is uh, my favorite message through this film. For me, it's it's that I want people to be inspired
2: to make change and to be in, and to be hopeful. You know it's this documentary, we hope people come away from it with a feeling of, of feeling good to feel inspired you know this you don't have to create a children's television show to do it but do something you know know if you see something in the world that needs to be fixed don't be afraid to step up and do it and support the things that are making positive change in the world you know sesame you know started with an incredible budget and a big uh, push out into the world and it's sustained for 52 years through a lot of hard work as a nonprofit, you know, getting funding and staying on air in order to help generations of children. You know? And so that work continues and it's, it's as hard now yeah. as it ever was. And we as a society, we make a choice about what's important by what we support. And we have to, as a collective, really do more to support those things that are important to make positive change in the world.
1: Because it's about making joy. It's about bringing joy to this world, which doesn't always have as much as it needs. And all these people back in 1969 were in a period of time where there also was a lot of need for joy and they gave the world what it needed then. And hopefully we can all through whatever art form or medium or way that we can bring that same kind of joy to the world as it's needed today.
0: Amen. More joy in the world. Before you go, tell everybody where to find uh, the film, where where they should go to watch it.
2: Yeah. So we're super excited that the film is available on HBO and HBO Max. The book is available everywhere where books are sold by
0: Abrams Books. Everybody needs to watch Street Gang, How We Got to Sesame Street. Ellen, Trevor, Marilyn, thank you so much for doing the show.
1: Oh, we were thrilled. Thank you so much. Steve. What a
2: great time. Thank you so much.
0: Thank you. That was a great interview. Thank you. That's going to do it for another episode of No Script, No Problem. For everyone listening, please remember to subscribe, download, and rate the show with five stars. It's available on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, Stitcher, and TuneIn. You can also find it on Believe.com and at Believe Podcast. Follow me on Twitter and Clubhouse at Steve Berkowitz and on Instagram at Steve M Berkowitz. Got any questions, email them to no script, no problem podcast at gmail.com. If you're interested in advertising on the show, please contact believe That's B-L-E-A-V at Bleve.com. B-L-E-A-V.com. Thanks for listening. Until next time, I'm Steve Berkowitz for No Script, No Problem.